In Kristen Hanna's latest novel, The Four Winds, we are in Texas in the 1920s. That was a time of great abundance. The Great War was over, crops were bountiful, but protagonist Elsa Walcott is having a tougher time of things. She's 25, but deemed too old to marry. She's swept up in the love affairs depicted in novels falls in love with the handsome Rafe Martinelli, makes some careless decisions, and ends up pregnant. By 1934, she's been disowned by her family, is the mother of two, and is living with the Martinellis and becoming quite the farmer. But the world has changed. Millions are out of work. An enduring drought has devastated the Great Plains. Everything on the farm is dying. Elsa's marriage is also dying away, but her main concern becomes keeping herself and her children alive. Can she survive on her own if she leaves Texas to head west on a perilous journey? This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. I talked to author Kristen Hanna about her novel, The Four Winds. Kristen, can you just give us a quick summary of the novel, just a really quick sketch of it? Uh, sure. The the Four Winds is really the portrait of a family and a woman who are surviving in the Texas panhandle during the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression. And the question becomes, you know, how long can they stay on their farm? And should she, dare she, go west in search of a better life? And the she is Elsa. Elsa Walcott, and when she was 25 years old, uh, this is when we meet her in the in the novel. What is with the Walcotts? Why doesn't anybody love Elsa <laughs> and her family? Well, you know, one thing that I wanted to sort of explore with Elsa was this idea of how much of our identity and our uh, opinion of ourselves is formed when we are young based on, you know, how our family feels about us and the things that their our families say about us. And so Elsa has grown up kind of an odd duck in a wealthy, important family in a very small Texas town. And she's just, you know, been told most of her life that, that she's just not good enough for various and, and sundry reasons. And uh, the start of the novel is her basically making a decision to break out of the life that has been prescribed for her. And she does this based on a reading of The Age of Innocence because she's a, she's a bit of a big bookworm. And so, you know, she reaches for a different life and a great deal of the novel is her struggling to break free of those initial beliefs about herself and, you know, her coming into a different kind of selfhood. And books are all she has for part of the novel. And she, as you say, she takes her cues from some of the characters in her favorite uh, books. They're instructive for her in some ways and in other ways, uh, maybe probably shouldn't be. Um, and I kept thinking about the, one of the ones she mentions, uh, The Wizard of Oz, and how much later on we see her as a kind of a, a Dorothy character. But I love the, this idea that she is, she's such an outlier in her own family and in, in other contexts in the book. But she finds always her place 
in books. I just thought that was such a lovely part of her character. You know, and that's actually thematically um, something you'll find in my work uh, sort of off and on throughout the years. And I think it's because as a child who moved around a lot, uh, you know, I had a family where where home was the family more than it was the place that we lived. And so I was often the new girl in school. And it was really my beloved books that were the friends that stayed with me all the time and that kept me going. And so it's a very easy leap for me to, to see that in my characters. Oh, I love it. I get it. It really speaks to me, too. That's, that's so beautiful. But then she meets Rafe. <laughs> um, this is 1921, and we're in this northern part of, of Texas in a place called Dalhart, and then a place called Lonesome Tree toward the um, Oklahoma border. Elsa is with child. She's been ruined by Rafe, to use the language of the time, and will have to leave her family home and join his. And she's basically disowned. So what's what's it like there, and how does that setting then set the tone for Elsa and this kind of culture shock she's about to experience? I mean, we learned that there aren't even any trees in this new space, to top it all off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it seems, of course, like the worst thing that can happen to Elsa. Um, her family disowns or drops her off at this, you know, wheat farm in the middle of nowhere where she knows no one. And it's a family of Italian immigrants, which, you know, historically at the time um, were sort of looked down upon in town by, by others. And so she moves into this completely foreign, completely alien world with, with no real support, no, um, no, no one there for her. And, you know, she does her best to sort of settle in and and try to become a farmer and become a part of this family and she discovers over time that um that she is in love with the land that she is connected to this lifestyle and she ends up finding in this family the love that she never found in her own and and then of course you know motherhood i think is the thing that really changes Elsa down to her bones and forces her to become her best self, or at least to try to become her, her best self. And it's motherhood that ultimately turns her into the sort of warrior woman that she becomes by the end of the novel. I just love tracing the development and the evolution of this character. And it's so realistically drawn in, in, in these ways where she sort of pulled from her home, sort of dropped into this other space. And it was a little bit inhospitable at first with, um, with Tony and with Rosa. Um, but then the place seems a little bit pastoral. There's lots of food. Things are growing. And she falls right in line, as you say, with farm life and really has this inner gardener that she and she can sort of uh, pardon the pun cultivate that part of herself very easily and just gets to know the farm animals and she really becomes of that place and it's so lovely to see as you say the way that Rafe's parents come to accept her over time and 
Um, they seem to be even prospering a little bit on this Martinelli farm. Um, but then, uh, and she has her, her children, and she has suffered some losses in the same way that Rosa has suffered the loss of children. But there's this environmental disaster. It's a man-made one, as you remind us in the novel, one caused by over-farming. But then by 1934, where the book takes us in 1935, there's, there is this economic depression. Things take a terrible turn for Elsa. And things are changing really, really fast in, in the novel. And suddenly she's in a position, uh, almost by force, where she's the one that has to take control of the situation and deal with these huge cataclysmic, catastrophic situations. And it, it made me think, yeah, that's what people had to do back then. It's really, it's really kind of incredible to think about all of those stories that, of people who endured those things that maybe we don't often think about when we learn about the Dust Bowl or the Great Depression in, in history class, say. Well, and that was really, you know, the the genesis of this novel. Um, I I was looking around when I was trying to come up with a new idea, and I've been really uh, obsessed lately with the idea of especially women's lost stories, um, and but but basically just lost stories in general. You know, there's so much amazing history out there that has just been forgotten or marginalized or isn't the most important um, story of the era and so it's been pushed aside. And when I started to look at the Great Depression, there were even four years ago when I began, you know, a lot of parallels between then and now. And that's always something that, that piques my interest because I think history has so much to teach us. Um, but then also, you know, when I started doing the research and came to the Dust Bowl, I realized how little I actually knew about this era. I mean, I knew the Great Depression, people were out of work, I knew the Dust Bowl had occurred, but I had no idea of the magnitude of, of all of these events, you know, coming together at the same time over such a, you know, a short period of years. And I found myself really drawn to the people who lived through and survived this era. You know, these are a lot of the people that we now call the greatest generation. They lived through the Great Depression. They lived through World War II. And they just seem to, to show a resilience and a grit and a strength that I think it is important to be reminded of. And, and all too often, you know, the stories of this era are from a male perspective. And so I really wanted to really look at what the women were doing to survive uh, in this time period as well. There is so much here about those dust storms and that horrific, oh my gosh, the, um, the April 14th Black yeah. Sunday storm, the 11-day dust storm, the hunger riots this mass exodus from Texas and Oklahoma toward California, then all of those other efforts to organize workers that come after that. I mean, this is a story, this is a novel that reminds us of all of these different things that were going on. Yes, the greatest generation and everything that they 
had to endure. So 80 years on, here we are with a global pandemic, climate change, rampant xenophobia, economic disparity, constantly rearing its head in all these other contexts, um, the mistreatment of immigrants and or migrant workers even still today. And as you say, we have so much to learn from history. And this is a story set in this very specific time and place that includes every one of those elements that we're still sort of looking at all these decades later. It's, it's really kind of, um, kind of incredible. And I was really struck by the scenes where the children have to have their gas masks ready in case the dust comes just crashing through um, any little uh, orifice in the wall or the or the door or the window. Um, and it reminded me of what we're going through with the pandemic and everybody having to have their masks on and children have to, you know, be um, alert to all kinds of things that um, are so terrible, right? And they're so scary. And here they are in this novel, hospitals that are uh, full to capacity with people with this kind of dust pneumonia and suffering from all of these upper, upper respiratory problems. So I know that in your author's note, you you do mention uh, sort of this idea about this pandemic. Um, and I know you must not have been thinking about it while you were writing the, and researching the novel uh, before the pandemic. But at the writing of the author's note, it was here. Um, how did you consider that you had already kind of written about all of these things, and here they were happening, we were living through them in 2020, 2021? Yeah, it was, it was a very surreal moment. I mean, I think I wrote the author's note in May, um, and... So the novel had was finished in, I think, the end of February for the final draft. And so in the, the short period of time between those two things, uh, the lockdown happened. And, and then my husband um, very quickly uh, lost his best friend uh, to COVID. He lived in um, Brenham, Texas. And so it was really kind of this uh, massive wake-up call. I mean, obviously, I had known that the book was touching on um, environmental uh, concerns and climate change and immigration and migrants and um, the haves and the have-nots and the great wealth disparity. Um, all of those things I knew going in. And I had, I had really set out to do that because I think that one of the great gifts of fiction uh, is that we can sort of, I think, we as authors can create empathy. You know, um, you, in this novel, you are in Elsa's shoes. You see what it feels like to live on this dying farm, to, to live through the dust storms, to, you know, deal with sort of wrenching poverty and unfairness in the workplace, all of these kind of things. And, and I guess my hope is that by feeling empathy, by understanding, it 
it creates more understanding and creates a conversation um, that obviously I think needs to be had. I mean, given, as you point out, we're still dealing with all these same issues um, almost a hundred years later. So I think it is important that we, that we look to history for the lessons that it has to teach us. And I also thought that, you know, when this came out, I knew it was going to come out during, during the pandemic. And in looking at it, I felt, I guess, grateful that one of the messages of this book is about not just living through these hard times, but but surviving and, and ultimately thriving. And I think one of the great lessons of the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl and um, all of this adversity is we Americans have been through this kind of thing before. And we have it in us to have the, the grit and the resilience and the strength um, of the people who came before us, our parents and our grandparents. And so I'm, I guess, glad to be part of a, a hopeful reminder that we will get through this as well. This is also a mother-daughter story. Um, I'm originally from Laredo, so I was tickled to read that Elsa's oh. grandfather was born there. And she names, she transposes the vowels. She names her daughter Loreda, Loretta. Loreda, <laughs> but it's the name that she gives her in honor of her grandfather, who was uh, early in her life maybe the only family member who really seemed to know her, know what she could do, what she was, what she was going. To, he he could almost predict that she was going to have to be a really brave girl in the world, a really brave woman in the world. But then the do- she has so many issues with her daughter. And that, too, is not unlike what we <laughs> encounter in 2021, <laughs> uh, mothers and daughters. So the, uh, the mother-daughter story here is so, comp- I mean, I love the little boy ant. He's so dear, and so <laughs> I always look forward to the scenes with him and his, you know, his energy. Um, but there was a, a, a very interesting complication with the mother-daughter relationship in this novel. What's that about? Well, I think, you know, I mean, I have been an adolescent daughter, and I know what a what a fraught time that is in the best of times you know a girl coming of age at you know 12 13 14 and you know trying to find her place in the world and and trying to become uh the next best version of herself and in this particular novel you know her her father has been sort of filling her head for years with big ideas and big dreams and the idea that they would someday, you know, have a big adventurous life rather than, you know, the, the grinding sort of day-to-day survival that it, that it is on their farm in the 30s. And when, you know, something happens with, uh, with her father, and she, you know, she is left to deal with this relationship with her mother. 
and the two of them are just at odds um, in the way that you know mothers and adolescent girls obviously are and you know sort of going back to our earlier conversation Elsa has always had uh, an issue with self-esteem and so Loretta's absolute certainty that she's right about everything and that her mother is wrong about everything really kind of strikes at the heart of Elsa and makes her a little off balance around her daughter. And, and as you point out, this really is very much a novel about motherhood. It's about, um, you know, Elsa and Loretta's relationship and how that grows over time and how Loretta comes to realize and appreciate her mother's um, strength. And, and I think there's a very lovely mother-daughter love story between Rose and Elsa as well, where, um, where Rose has perhaps been disappointed in her life and Elsa really becomes the daughter that she always wanted to have. Oh, yes. And without giving away and spoiling too much, there's some very powerful and very poignant scenes with with those two women in that sort of mother-daughter uh, sort of surrogate role that um, that Rosa plays. And I was thinking about the way that Elsa has really just uh, come into her own as a Martinelli and is out there foraging for the Russian thistles because they might taste like artichokes. I mean, there's so much, so much detail here that I wondered, how did Kristen Hanna know about Russian thistles? <laughs> well, uh, you know, this is what I do. And um, I actually love researching a novel. I love um, delving into all of these little details that aid me in world building. And, you know, I think part of it, you know, I hear a lot from, from readers about how much they love the way I've created a world, the way they can feel the dust and hear the wind and um, it makes them, you know, really sets them in the time and place that I'm creating. And I think that's really because of um, the, the depth of research that I'm able to do and, and the specific lovely little details that I'm able to find along the way. You know, I remember reading at the uh, University of Texas, I think at Austin Library, and I was down there doing research, and I read a memoir about one of these dust storms hitting um, and centipedes, you know, coming, climbing out through the walls because they were trying to get away from the wind too. And that's the kind of detail I just find so fascinating and so unusual that I I can't wait to put it in somewhere. I love it, and you do create the world. I mean, you you there is that scene with the centipede <laughs> and the you know the spiders and the mouse skittering across the the floor, um, all of those details, and and you sort of think about it and think, well, of course that must have happened. <laughs> Something like that must have happened. Um, you know, we had this big snowstorm in Texas in February, and I've been around snow plenty, but um, this was different. So when I read the scenes with the snow in your novel, it, it, it really, 
it really resonated for me in a really interesting way around this uh, sort of, you know, no electricity and, and, you know, and it's so cold and, uh, but also the loveliness of the snow, not just how, you know, treacherous and <laughs> destructive it was here in Texas, but, but also what they saw as promising, you know, sort of the snow that poets write about, right? The, the beauty of it. Um, so I was really struck by that, the changing of the seasons in this place and how connected to the changing of the seasons they all are on that farm because they have to be. And it's just details like that I was just so taken with. Absolutely. I think that's, uh, you know, because as a farmer, the, the land is everything. And and it was important for me, you know, as I was describing a lot of this adversity, um, because as you point out, the cold is a real problem, you know, when you don't have heat and you don't have wood and, you know, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. But it's important also, I think, to be the kind of person uh, that sees the beauty in that, that sees the beauty in the natural world and sort of, I think, re-anchors um, you in place. So you have so many fans, Kristen, Hannah, and I know that the response to this novel has already been absolutely incredible. Um, one of the things that I, th- I think sometimes... Um, Maybe it's, I don't know if it's an unspoken thing or not, but this idea of a protagonist, a character like Elsa, who comes into her own when she's older. She was never the pretty girl. She was not able to meet the potential that she thought maybe was, would be her destiny. Um... And she's, you know, she's she's a little bit odd and too tall, and you know, her, and her posture's a certain way, and but there's just something that in itself, this idea that yes, she had those self-esteem issues, but then just the idea of fighting to survive, of being a mother and doing everything that she possibly can to make sure her children are okay, that that becomes the most beautiful element of a character like this, and none of the rest really ever mattered. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I love best as well. And and I feel personally that by the time the novel is finished, um, I at least was questioning whether anything she believed was ever true in the first place. I mean, yes, she was tall. Yes, she was gawky. Yes, she had been sick as a child. But the whole idea of her attractiveness and and how she feels in her own skin, um, you know, the the question is out there. Because I never thought, for example, that Rose believed any of those things about her or even that Rafe believed any of those things about her. It was really much more from her perspective. And so... The idea that, you know, or, or I guess this arc of a woman finding her voice, especially through motherhood, um, and allowing an ordinary woman um, to become extraordinary through strength and determination and to have this woman become 
basically a straight up hero, you know, actually heroic, is to me just uh, a wonderful character arc and a great sort of contribution um, to our daughters and our granddaughters who get to see women in this way. Kristen, Hannah, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for loving the book. I appreciate it. Kristen Hanna is the author of the novel The Four Winds. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Thanks for listening. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Kathleen Creedon is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides. <laughs>